Pray with me. Father, thank you for this beautiful day, hot though it may be. <laughs> we thank you for it. We thank you for air conditioning. We thank you for a beautiful facility that we meet you in. We thank you for our brothers and sisters in Christ here and all over the world. All of those who are listening and other places, we love you and we're praying for you too. Be encouraged. God has a great plan for you. In Jesus' name, amen. So, last week I was talking about, well, there was a message called Forward in Faith. <clears throat> and, and I just want to pick up there sort of where I left off. But the fact is that we were called to a life of faith. And, uh, and what faith looks like, what, what a life of faith looks like. Not having a poverty mentality, uh, knowing uh, who we are, what we have in Christ. And this is just a never-ending message, just different angles. Because the biggest problem, I think, in the body of Christ is this identity crisis that we suffer from. Once we come to Christ, is just being discipled. So most people aren't, aren't discipled. They don't continue as students of the Word and of the Lord, learn His ways and His words and His promises and learn how to stand on them and believe them and to magnify the Word of God over and above the things that they see in the natural. And because of that, they're carnal. Doesn't necessarily mean sinful, but generally it'll lead to that. But it just means they're of the world. They think on the things of the world instead of the things up above, which is a sin. And it will never lead to the life that we want. Because uh, every seed produces after its own kind. If you think only on the things of the world and world, uh, worldly ways to solve problems, uh, well then that's what you're limited to. But we are not limited in Christ except for with the limitations we put on ourselves. And that's what we need to come to understand. We, we talked about, uh, we were in Hebrews last week, uh, chapter 11, verses 1 through 15, and we talked about um, Abraham and Sarah, how they left the country they were comfortable and safe in and left and went out into the wilderness just because God said, and they had their minds on something better, something uh, supernatural, a kingdom, a city that God had prepared for them and not the place from which they had came. Otherwise, they had been tempted to go back. There's no future in the past. It's very hard for God to reveal the next chapter in our lives when we keep rereading the last chapter. Amen? So, we have to... And we, I went on and I ended with our thought life and how... That affects everything. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. And so, it's good to want to do better. But without God, it's just religion. It's just works. And so, we discussed the fact that in order to... Taking from that example of Abraham and Sarah, that... Why didn't they think on the place from which they'd come? Why didn't they think about home and going back there? Not just because they tried not to, because the more that you try not to think about something, but you're still thinking about that something, the more you're going to think about that something. The same with sin and doing that sin. You have to replace that thought with something better. And they replaced it with a new city created by God for them. Something magnificent and wonderful. And they died believing for that. Never having seen it. But they never gave up. I want to read to you. Continuing on with that. That thought. Because remember. We have to replace. The old thinking with something new. And so we're going to go into looking at the old man versus the new man and how that applies and the replacement value of replacing the thoughts of the world with the thoughts of heaven and of Jesus. Amen. Look over in Colossians 
Colossians. It's after Philippians. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. And we're just going to read in the third chapter. I'm just going to start reading. Colossians chapter 3. If then you have been raised with Christ, if you're born again, if you belong to Jesus, if you've made the commitment and had the encounter with God, not just a, a prayer that someone had you say when you were young or because you got dunked before you could even realize what the church was, but when you've made a, a heart commitment toward Jesus and you've really been saved, let's start there. If you then have been raised with Christ... Seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. So it's a choice. It's an action. It's telling us we have to do something. We have to set our minds. It's a choice. We have to choose what and decide what to think upon, don't we? And it is a choice. So we decide to choose we to choose God, to th- choose the things that are of God, and to think on things that are above and not on things that are of the earth. Why? Verse 3, For you have died, and your life is hidden now in Christ. With Christ, in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. You died when you chose the Lord and He accepted you and saved you. Just like Adam and Eve died when they chose sin. But they left the garden, didn't they? He said, the day you eat of that fruit, you will surely die. And they did. So how did they walk out of the garden and live for hundreds of years thereafter? They died spiritually. You have to first set your mind on who you really are and to know that you're a three-part being and we think of ourselves based on what we see. Well, I'm, this, is, this is me. I'm this. I look in the mirror, I see me. And then I know I'm aware of this soulish realm because I know I have thoughts and a personality. So I can sense that. So that's me. Wrong. It's part of you. You are a spirit. God created you in His image. And God is a spirit. Those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. John 4.24 And God said, let's create them in our image. So, He created us in their image. (laughs) God is God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost. But we are spirits with a soul a mind, a will, and emotions, personality, riding around in a body. This body is not who we are. Matter of fact, this is the part of us that we're going to leave behind here and get a new one that's not ever going to fade away. But we have to understand that first, we are a spirit with a soul. So, if our spirit, which was corrupt by sin, died with Christ, you have to picture yourself right there on the cross with Him because the, the punishment for sin is death. So you were crucified in Christ and you died with Him on the cross and now you have to reckon yourselves dead to the world and alive in Christ. That's why the word says you are seated in heavenly places with him right now. You are seated with him at the right hand of the Father in heaven. Colossians 3. For we died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Verse 5, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, 
sexual immorality. See, it's, you're, it's a choice. You have to do something. You have to decide to do it. Put to death. He say, he's not saying, therefore, I'm going to put to death these things in you. No, you put it to death. It's already been done spiritually. Now, in the natural, you get rid of those things. Put to death what is earthly, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked. That's why we're compassionate and merciful to others. Because there's no difference. If you fall, if we've all fallen short of the glory of God, we've all sinned. Punishment for sin is death. If we fell at just one point of the law, we're guilty of it all. So we were all entitled to what? Death. And we got what? Mercy. We got grace. Thank you, Lord. So we'll extend it to others. We once walked when we were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Put it away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. That's discipleship. We're becoming more and more as we like Jesus, as we as we gain knowledge of him. And that's how grace and peace are multiplied into our lives, aren't they? By the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 11, here there is not Greek or Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and is in all. Boy, this is really screw up all the people who are so uh, racially motivated these days. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. You have to practice these things. Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. It's not an option. And above all, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let, let, let. There's something required of you, right? If you let something, didn't you have to allow it? So there's an action on your part. You could reject it, you could agree with the world, and you could allow fear to reign in your heart, or you could let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. It's supposed to be our umpire in our lives. If we don't have peace, we're not supposed to move forward on anything. We're supposed to pray about it. We're supposed to cast our cares on the Lord, for He cares for us. And the peace of God will rule in our hearts. To which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful Thankfulness is key to a productive life of faith. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. There it is again. You have to be discipled in the word of God. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness again in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed. Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Well, if you do everything in the name of Jesus, you'll quit some things, won't you? <laughs> wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Bond servants, this means if you have a job, you're a bond servant. Obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Jesus Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done. And there is no partiality. And it goes on. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you have a master in heaven. That means if you own a company or you have 
employees, you better treat them right because God is watching. And if you work for somebody, don't have to back up to the table on Friday to get your check because everything you've done, you've done it in the name of the Lord and as unto the Lord. Amen. If you uh, if you're going to talk about that boss or or steal from them when they're not looking, you need to just go ahead and quit. <coughs> Amen. <laughs> I want to read something else because that sounds like a bunch of do's and don'ts for sure. And it is. And But this is the new covenant, right? It's full of stuff like that, I promise you. But I've certainly been around folks in the last several years uh, and heard from many others who, boy, you can't say anything about what the Christian is supposed to do or how they're supposed to behave or act. Oh, that's legalism. Nonsense. Nonsense. Look what the Lord put up with. Look what he went through on our behalf. Look how he was mistreated and tortured and killed for us. And we can't even agree with him. So we don't open every door in the world for the devil to come into our lives and hurt us and the people we love. He's trying to help us. But you can tell people what to do all day long. (laughs) Trust me. It may not take effect. And even if it does, it may not help. They could do everything I just mentioned. And they might go to hell. Why? Let's keep reading. Go back to Isaiah. Let's look at something in the Old Testament real quick. Isaiah, the first chapter. Isaiah is right after Psalms, I think. No, Psalms and then Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. Then Isaiah, that's when you start the major prophets. Just throw stuff out there just so it sinks in. It's good to talk about the Bible, isn't it? Remember what I've said now. We're we're going somewhere. It's all supposed to make sense, okay? Isaiah, the first chapter, go down to the 16th verse. And I'm really shooting for the 19th, but I'm going to read 16 through 20. Verse 16, Isaiah chapter 1. Wash yourselves. Here we go again. Sounds like what we just left off from, right? He's talking about spiritually. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. That's what the Lord's telling. Cease to do evil. Again, lots of instructions here, right? Sounds good, though. Learn to do good. You have to learn to do good, don't we? We knew how to do bad when we belonged to the devil and we were part of this world. But now we're putting on the new man, right? And so what it says here in the Old Covenant, learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. He's a reasonable God. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. Then here's the important part. As he say, I'll do all this for you. I'll forget all your sins and make you clean. If you are obedient. Is that what it says? Did I miss something? What's the part I miss? If you're willing... And obedient. You should underline that. Remember it. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, rebellion is like witchcraft to the Lord. He hates it. You shall be eaten by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. If you are willing and obedient, Obedience is important to the Lord, for sure. But remember the story of the prodigal son? Remember the brother who got ticked off because the father was being good to the, the son who had come back home 
came to his senses. Well, the, the, the brother, he never left home, did he? He never did anything wrong. He had been there doing everything. He had been obedient. But was he in good standing, do you think? There was a problem revealed in him, wasn't it? His heart wasn't in it. When he said, I've done all this. I've always done all this for you. You never even gave me old stinking goat. A party. He was dirty in his heart. He, he had done it all for sure. But it was just religion. It wasn't out of his, it wasn't from a pure heart. He didn't do it out of love. So yeah, there's some things God wants us to do. And if we do them, we'll be blessed because we slam all the doors for the devil. But what does it say in 2 Corinthians 9, 7? God loves a cheerful giver. Cheerful giver. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, what we call the love chapter. Go there real quick. What's this say? The first three verses. Paul says the way of love here, he's describing, he says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, this is a good thing. He, he's saying the, all these things he's saying don't matter without love. He, there are great things, though, in, in, his, in his eyes and in God's eyes. So speaking in tongues is a great thing. But he said, if I speak in tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. In other words, just a bunch of noise without love. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith, all great things, right? Faith to move mountains, but have not love, I'm nothing. If I give away all that I have, giving is good. And I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. So what he's saying is that everything else, we can do all the do's and get rid of all the don'ts. We could be obedient, but we need to make sure our attitude is right. Otherwise, it's profiting us nothing. If I write a $10,000 check, or if I write a $100,000 check to this church today, and I say, man, go get you a nice new place. Get you a 10 o'clock Sunday morning service and fill that place up. But I, then I said, well, make sure you let everybody know I did it. And uh, put my name on the building. And my family will be like a family of skunks. You just put our name, we'll have our own pew. <laughs> There's something wrong. My motivation may not be right. Next thing you know, I'm running for office, you know. <laughs> My point is, whether that's a good point or not, the attitude. Which chapter are you reading in 1 Corinthians? 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the first three verses, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Yes? The love chapter. But it profits me nothing. If I don't have love, whatever I'm doing, any good thing I'm doing, God says it's nothing. So we have to be sure of that. And so if I find myself, if I find myself being obedient to God and everything He's told me to get rid of out of my life and to, to do in my life, but then I find that my attitude sucks. What do I do? Quit doing all the good things he told me to do? No. Keep doing those things. But go get with him. And tell him, Lord, I'm doing this stuff, but my heart's not in it. And you know that already. You know everything about me. You know every word I'm going to speak before I ever form is on my lips, is what the Bible says. 
And so, Lord, help me. My heart's not pure. I've done this <laughs> to my shame probably thousands of times. Help me, Lord. Help me love this person like you do. Help me. Help me love these kids. Help me love my wife. Help me. You know, I, I do that all the time. If I feel like I'm off, I repent to him before I ever... Get over my anger with the other person. I know I'm doing wrong. Lord, I'm sorry. Forgive me. Help me. Holy Spirit, help me. I'm off right now. I'm upset. I'm mad. I know that's not good. You know, I'm judging. I'm judging others. When you forgave me so much. I know all the right things. It takes me a while to get there sometimes. And I ask Him for help. I want Him to know that I know that I'm off. And that I know He's the source of, of the restoration of my soul that we talked about a couple of weeks ago from Psalm 23. He's the one that can restore your soul back to a place of calm and peace. Because without that, I can't hear Him properly anyway. And I don't like to move on. I don't like to move on like that. There's something in, in my, my, you know, one of my siblings right now, and I, you know, at odds with and I don't like that I'm praying for restoration I hadn't fixed it but I'm I'm praying for it I don't want it to be like that you know we, sh we should always yeah we should always be believing for restoration of any relationship doesn't mean that, that person is acceptable in our lives right then where there, there are other people that we know that we can't let close to us right now because they have things in their lives that could be dangerous to us, our family, you know? So you have to put boundaries. But you, you're believing for that, for God to get a hold of them. best thing ever happened is that God changed their, their hearts and their ways, right? So that's how you know. That's a good litmus test. If you have a... If there's a, a barrier, a boundary in your life, a wall, so to speak. The way to find out if it's godly or not is to, to, to judge that. Do you want, would you allow that relationship to be restored if God got involved in their life? You see, that would be great. If not, then you're just punishing them. You've judged that person. Now you are punishing them. You see? It's like, uh, like a kid, like a kid maybe is, uh, say their, their mom or dad leaves when they're young, does a terrible thing and leaves them. But then that parent finds the Lord or is, is saved later on. And the best thing, you know, they would never, ever do anything like that again. They're changed. They're a good person, good man, good woman. All they would do is love that person now, but they still won't have anything to do with them. Well, it's not because they're afraid of them hurting them anymore. If They might be, but once they get to know, okay, wait, there's really been a change here, and they still, well, I'm still not going to have nothing to do with them. I'm mad. I'm bitter. That's a sin, you see? That's a sin. So we always have to be willing and wanting for God to fix that, you see? <clears throat> So, we see that there is a, a better life waiting for us in Christ. We have so many things. All the promises of God in Christ are yes and amen. So many people are living short of those promises and the provision of God in Christ because they, uh, they, they are worldly doesn't mean that they are terrible people. It just means that they, you know, we just go to work and go through our day and we're inundated, bombarded with everything of the world, the news of the world, the people of the world, the negativity of the world, the death and destruction of the world. That's going to get on you and in you. Whatever goes in these eye and ear gates gets on you and in you. The only thing that washes it is the truth of God's Word. So we need prayer. We need time with God. We need time in the Word. We need our souls to be restored. 
And we need to focus on things above and not the things of the world. The promise and provision, the love and the peace of God and eternity instead of this flicker of a life. The more and more I hear people say and do stupid things and die early in this world, the less patience I have for, for some of the things of the world. And, you know, the, 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 uh, the coddling and the babying, of, that's not my ministry. I don't think we have time for that. I love people, and I, I'm always going to encourage them. I'm not going to kick somebody when they're down and tell them, to suck it up, get over it, you know. No. But it won't be long. As soon as I see they're strengthened a little bit, I'm going to say, listen, man. <laughs> you think this life is bad? We have air conditioning here. <laughs> yeah, you pull the plug on this. See what happens. The alternative to this life is grim, I assure you, without God. So, let's just not be foolish anymore, you know? <laughs> wow. You know, one of the most important and helpful things that I've found that to never help, never get off track as far as uh, believing the lies of the enemy is, is a experience with God. A track record, so to speak. Remembering. You know, in the Old Testament, all through there, they told them to build an altar, build a, build a, build something, a, a statue, a, a, stack up some stones to remember this place, to remember what God did here, to remember, to remember, to remember. And we're supposed to have those sorts of things in our lives. Not necessarily resurrect monuments, but we're supposed to have a memory of the track record of God's faithfulness and His goodness and His love. Because once you've experienced God's love, then you're an expert. Remember the guy in John chapter 9? Indulge me just a couple of minutes here. John chapter 9. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, chapter 9. Right at the beginning of that chapter, there was a fellow, and he was blind from birth, right? And Jesus healed him. And because Jesus had healed him, the religious leaders who were corrupt in their hearts, remember, they did everything outwardly correct. Even tithes from the, from the spices from the gardens, they, a portion they would tithe. Everything was proper, right? But Jesus said, you, you wash the outside of the cup, <laughs> but the inside is dirty. That's what we're talking about today. We have to be motivated by love, right? And we know those Pharisees of the day were not... And they got mad because this... Now imagine, this guy had been blind his whole life. And Jesus healed him. And they couldn't even be happy for the guy. They were looking for a way to accuse Jesus. And down in verse 13, they brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them... He put mud on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. Can you imagine? <laughs> but others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such signs? Talking about Jesus. And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, What do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? He said, He's a prophet. <laughs> The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? And he was, his parents copped out. They knew they'd be kicked out of, the, out of the synagogue. His parents answered, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but how he sees, we don't know. Nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He's of age. He'll speak for himself. 
His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. Fear of man brings a snare, doesn't it? For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. They were more afraid of, of acknowledging that Jesus had to be the Christ and was from God than they, they were more afraid of being kicked out of church than admitting that Jesus was God. Therefore, his parents said, he's of age, ask him. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. Talking about Jesus. I love this guy. He answered in verse 25, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. <laughs> you know, that's why it's so important to remember and to document and on write it down, remember it. Every time God does something wonderful for you, which is daily, by the way, but especially the times when you know that you know that you know that God is dealing with you and He has just blessed you and He has shown you in a way that only you would know. And He knows that you know and it's one of the things when you face Him, He's going to remind you of. He's going to remind you that you knew it was Him and how good He is because it's the goodness of God that brings repentance, isn't it? But you need to remember those things because it'll make you powerful. Because you know why? A man with an experience is never at the mercy of a man with an argument. Because there are going to be people in this world. All you got to do is turn on CNN or Bill Maher or The View or one of those worldly programs. And there will be people that are way smarter than you. And me, trying to convince us that there is no God. And even if there is, Jesus isn't Him. And that Jesus may just, if there is a heaven, which they usually say there's not. Because if there is, then there might be a hell. And they got to watch out for that because they would be destined for there. So they have to rule that out. They're going to try to convince you. If you go to a college or university in this country... The overwhelming majority of them these days are, are as godless as they come. And they feel like it's their duty, if you arrive at their institution with any faith, to make sure you don't leave with it. And to prove to you that there is no God. But a man with an experience is never at the mercy of a man with an argument. It's too late to convince me that there's no God and that Jesus isn't God. I know Him. And I know what He's done for me. And so you could argue till you're blue in the face. And it could all seem, you could almost have me convinced probably with some of the great arguments that are very compelling with science and all these things that I don't understand. But I would never move from my conviction, my faith in the one that I know. Because my Redeemer lives. His name is Jesus Christ. And the last thing I want to mention is that in knowing these things, we should just make up our minds, commit, settle it. No looking back, no going back. Put our focus on that city built for us by God. Our future in Him, our destiny with Him. Remember that we are ambassadors here. What does that mean? Why do you say you're an ambassador? <coughs> I was born here. Well, maybe in the flesh. <coughs> I'm talking about 2 Corinthians. If you're still in 1 Corinthians 13, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and then we're done. But I've got to leave you with this. 
2 Corinthians chapter 5. I want to get to verse 20, but I'm going to go to 17 because everybody needs to know verse 17 by memory. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, if you've been saved, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All things have become new, the King James said. All this is from God. Now, wait a second. All things have become new. But you look in the mirror and all that stuff is the same. (laughs) All the blemishes and imperfections and even your mind, your stinking thinking, your soul, right? So your body and your soul. So if all things have become new, then who's he talking to? Your spirit man, right? Isn't that who I'm trying to convince you that you are? And God deals with you based on that? God is a spirit, and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. You must go to Him as your spiritual being. You must learn to identify as the spiritual man that you are. That's why it's so important to learn about Jesus, because that's who you are. In reality, in the spirit, all things have become new. You see there? Look right here. This is who we are. You see that? 2 Corinthians 11, verse 3. I'm incorruptible now. Because I'm a spirit with a soul that's being perfected. But the spirit in me, the spirit man, who I really am, is incorruptible, sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. That's who we are, and we have to identify with that. Because when we do, then we can say... Devil, you can't touch me with any of this stuff from the world. And if going on, all this is from God. Verse 18, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, And entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Isn't that what we want for everyone is for them to be reconciled with God like we are? Well, that's what he wants us to do is go help him to get this done. To populate heaven and to empty hell. That is, in Christ, not counting the trespasses and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Verse 20. Therefore... We are ambassadors of Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. We are ambassadors to Christ. Now, what do we know about ambassadors? If we're ambassadors for Christ, he's using this example as something we would understand. So it's a worldly example, isn't it? To help us to understand our position with Christ and our job for Him. An ambassador, especially back then, he's a high-ranking minister of the state, isn't he? Even to this day. And they were often chose from royal families back in the old days, right? And then they're sent to another country to represent the the nation that they're from, right? Philippians 3.20 says that we are royalty. You are a king and a priest in the family of God. And that we are citizens of heaven. Not of the earth anymore. Citizens of heaven now. And now we're an ambassador from, from the kingdom of heaven to this world. What else do we know about ambassadors? Well, if, if, if you send an ambassador from a nation to another nation to represent, they don't become 
citizens of that nation that they were sent to, do they? They don't become citizens of the place where they're living. They're still citizen of the place from which they're sent. In the same way, we are citizens of heaven. Not to be intertwined with this world. We don't have to accept Satan's things of the world. Because we're not citizens of the world. <laughs> you know? So, if, because we're in the world but not of it, so we don't have to accept sickness. We don't have to accept disease or poverty or depression. Those are... Those are Satanic things. Those belong to Satan. He's the author of those things. And this because they're here in this world where we've been sent to. We're still citizens of heaven. But can't we claim diplomatic immunity? (laughs) Hello. And if, 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 if we send an ambassador to... Somalia, and there's a famine in that land. Well, our ambassador doesn't have to worry about starving to death over there, does he? Why? Because his needs are met by the, by the country that sent him. His provisions are from the country from which he came. In the same way, Our provision comes from the kingdom of God. Everything that He has is ours. (laughs) That's, That's what we need to get into our minds and realize that we've been falling for a lot of the tricks that Satan has put before us and tried to get us to agree with. There's a chapter in my book about this. Talk about a, a son of a kingdom that the king sent the son. He asked him to go and to help the people of this faraway land who were sick and impoverished and A terrible darkness had fallen upon the land. And he he sent this son who agreed to go joyfully. And he sent him with all the provisions that you can imagine. The best from the land of the king. All the best of medicine and foods and wisdom, instructors and teachers and doctors and everything. And they all went in this huge caravan. And then they never heard from the son again. And after a long time, the king sent emissaries to go find out what happened to the son. Why hadn't he returned? And when they got there, they found that all of this long wagon train of provision just abandoned in a valley just over the hill from the village where he was sent to go. And they went on into the village and they found the son of the king huddled up in the corner of a little dark hut in the same condition of all the other people in the town, sick and cold and depressed. And when they approached him, he said, where have you been? Why didn't you help? Why hasn't my father done anything? And they said to the prince, they said, but you were the one he sent to help. Everything he sent with you for the help and the provision that they need and and for yourself, you abandon. And you become as one of them. 
That's how foolish it is for us to continue to look like and agree with the world and forget that all the promises of God in Christ are yes and amen. So like we said last week, we need to move forward in faith with an attitude of gratitude and love because of the love that has been shown to us by Jesus' perfect life and sacrifice on our behalf. Knowing that He sat down when He was done and He gave His authority to us and the provision. And we need to start making some withdrawals on that account. Remembering that we'll never diminish it in a single ounce or penny from anything we take. We need to start believing for something bigger than us. Because this world around us is sick and dying. They don't really even want our help. (laughs) They don't think they need it. But that's their flesh. Don't talk to their flesh. Talk to their heart. That's a part of them that knows God. It's what it says in the first chapter of Romans, remember. Now there's a part of everyone that knows God. They can reject Him, fine. But He wants to keep on trying to reach them as long as they're here. He finally reached us. I'm glad I made it long enough for Him to get a hold of me. Because I sure wouldn't want to be apart from Him now. I see the suffering in this world. And I say, man, you just need Jesus. And I know that that's my one answer to every problem. But until somebody really wants to agree with that, I can't go much further. So, let's agree with God ourselves. Let's make sure that our hearts are right. Let's stay thankful. Let's study the Word. Stay in prayer. Keep our souls restored and to a place of peace with God so that we can hear Him and hear His direction for our lives and so that we can hear Him when He wants to use us to help others. I pray it every day. Lord, help me to hear You clearly today so that I can impart Your wisdom to someone in need. And you know, He loves that prayer, I think. And He's faithful. Has He blessed you today? Alright. Father, thank You for Your love and for this Word. Help us to remember to put on the new man. To make every effort to agree with You and to seek You when we need to have a hard adjustment our attitude adjustment. But help us to continue to live for you and to help others to do the same so that they can find freedom and peace and restoration for their souls as we have in you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.